Welcome to the Garbage Fire Podcast, a.k.a. MFKS Radio on the Airwaves Dial at 487.52. Your pod is hosted by Kelsey and Megan, who have experienced a beginning, a middle, and end. Ooh, good one. Thank you. The Garbage Fire Pod is all about being unironically passionate to the point that you would dive into the dumpster for the things that you love. Well, Hello, Megan, everybody. It's been a, it's been a minute. It has been a minute. We were going to record last weekend, uh, and then we didn't, and then we were going to maybe try and record during the week, and we didn't, and now it's Monday, February 15th, and it's a holiday, so it's not a nighttime recording, so it shouldn't be too crazy. (laughs) Probably. Probably. You never know. But I just want to say, I do appreciate that you gave me, like, the week to get my life sorted again. Because for those of you out there who don't follow me on Twitter and don't see me complain about things, um, I can't imagine why you wouldn't follow me on Twitter. But anyway, um, uh, our school had a massive uh, COVID outbreak and the whole building was shut down for two weeks. Um, And just prior to that, I was in isolation for, like, six days before we shut down. So I was at home basically for three weeks. So this, we just went back into the building um, this past Monday and we had started a new term the week before. So it was like, we had like two first days in this term because it was like meeting our kids and doing the things. And then also like, oh, here's the rules. Here's where the bathroom is for this part of the school and this kind of stuff and all those sorts of things. Uh, And I don't know if I have ever been as tired at the end of a week of school where I haven't had to do like any kind of coaching things or extracurricular stuff in my career. For sure. I can't imagine the, like, mental and physical drain that was on you to come back from so long of isolation and then just be thrust right into it. That's bonkers. Well, and, like, when I was at home, I mean, I said somebody asked me on Tuesday uh, last week how, because um, we had a PD day um, on the, the 1st of February, so we only had four days of class the first week and it was all online and then so someone asked me on Tuesday like how I was doing and I was like man it is 3.35 and it is bullshit that I'm not already on the couch having a nap because Mm -hmm. when I was working at home I would like have a little half hour snooze before I would get to work after like doing any marking or anything like that because I had the time and the ability to do that and then I was like at school not able to have a nap and it was I did not enjoy yeah it's crazy how much like once you are working from home, like, how quickly your body adapts to that extra rest. Mm-hmm. And how much it struggles to just run on exhaustion after that. Oh, man. Well, and for me, too, like, my commute is a half an hour each yeah. way. And so not having... So, like, we start class this year, we're starting at 9.45, because um, we only have two classes, and whatever, which has been really nice. When I'm working from home, sometimes that means I get up at 8.45. Hell Yeah. Which is amazing. And I have time to have, like, oatmeal and, you know, get my, like, life in order and make a cup of coffee and, like, do all these things. Whereas, I'll get up at 10 after 8, maybe, to go to school. And I should be out of the house by 8.30 so that I can get there before 9 o'clock. Um, and so that doesn't always happen. But, like, it's just a very different way of being. For sure. But And yeah. just to constantly go back and forth between the two with no notice is just like oh yeah so I I had a kid in one of my classes who showed up on Monday and he hasn't been back all week and he's been out sick and I haven't heard anything but that doesn't mean anything 
So every day I've been like taking home all of my stuff that I might possibly need in case I have to teach online. Because I, I might have to teach online and like we'll never find out until... I mean, I was lucky the, the last time because uh, we I, we found out during the school day, so I was still at school, and I got to, like, stay and finish up some stuff and collect my things and whatnot. I know people who've gotten phone calls from the principal or assistant principal at, like, 10 o'clock at night. And, like, and like don't go in By tomorrow. the way, you can't come in tomorrow. Fuck. Yeah, so, like, I was very lucky in that respect, but it's still, like, it's not easy, and it's, uh, the uncertainty, I think, is the part that is exhausting. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely, goodness gracious. And it's funny too, because like I, I, I don't know why I do this to myself, but I like hate watch some teacher YouTube stuff every once oh, in a while. Oh, Megan, um, it's fine. <laughs> and it sometimes it makes me feel better about myself because I'm just like I would never pretend that I know what I'm talking about in that context and make a video about it and be like, hey, here I put together a master class. You're 12. Like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> so like. <laughs> There's that. But there's this one lady that I follow. Uh, I could have played a drinking game with one. I don't follow her. That's a lie. I just, every once in a while, I poke in. And she's an English teacher, and so, like, there's at least some relevant stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But she lives in California, and they've been online, like, fully for the whole year. Oh, okay. Um, they haven't shifted, like, timetables and stuff, so it still sounds like they have four classes a day. Oh, um, God. But it's fully online. Like, I can't imagine trying to figure out how to do that. Um, but she keeps talking about, like all of the challenges and and stuff and like you know this like crazy thing of being online and I was like yeah but at least you know yeah like, at there's, least it's there's a no change from day to day it's like the yeah. same thing every day there's no late night phone calls there's no like which kids are going to be here today because i mean it, there's still probably some of that but you know you don't have you know seven of your kids who have the same other class and someone in that other class gets sick and then they're gone and so you have to figure out mm-hmm. how to manage all of those things and so I just, I found, I found it really funny when she, like, complains that, but I did send the link to one of her videos to one of my colleagues, and I was like, we should play a drinking game, because in this video, she was teaching people how to teach annotations, and she said the word annotation probably 250 times in this video, and I was like, you could die from a drinking game <laughs> on this one. <laughs> and I, That's so yeah. dark, though. Like, <laughs> really you're struggling... <laughs> I'm struggling. I've found our way out. <laughs> exactly. It's this video. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Speaking of that, my I went over to my parents last night for dinner, and my mom and dad were talking about, so there was, like, a story on the news about this couple who'd been married for, like, 60-some years or whatever. Or six, maybe it was 60 years, and my mom said something to my dad about oh, how it was, for them, they'd only, they, they need 13 more or whatever. I think it's been, this will be 40 Holy shit. I think. Yeah, they've been married for a long time. Um, Anyway, (laughs) my dad was like, oh, God, I hope not. And he says that a lot. And my, like, it's now just a joke. But my mom always says that she's going to uh, be here, like, she's going to live until she's 100. And I'm like, "Um, no, absolutely not. I will not allow you to. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, what are you going to do? I was like, oh, I got, I was like, I have a plan. Don't worry. I got made on speed dial. Yeah. And we just, like, we just sort of left that alone. But it was funny, too. And then we got talking about, because, you know, as, I don't know, as I get older, like, with my folks, we talk about stuff like this, because it's a thing, right? And mom's like, what are you going to do? She was like, 
She's like, what if what if you're alone for the rest of your life? And I was like, thanks, mom. But also, I said, don't worry, I have an exit strategy. It's fine. And I was like, it will be very, it won't be traumatic for anyone. It's all good. And she was just like, okay. Oh my god. And I was like, but I said to her, but you'll be long dead, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I feel like as soon as. Well, my husband, because of the profession he's in, has, like, given his parents these, like, green folders that are, like, um, from AHS, and they're all about, like, who do you want to give, like, um, power of attorney to if you're, like, incapacitated, and, like, what are your goals of care if you have, like, this, Mm -hmm. this, this, blah, 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 blah. And I, my focus is, like, God, if my dad ever gets back from Texas, we gotta clean out that house while he's still alive. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I want my parents to move before they can't deal with the house anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm I'm more than happy to help them deal with it. But yeah, they need to they need to decide to move before like my dad can't do stuff anymore, before mom is like, you know incapacitated somehow or whatever like they that needs to happen because that, that house has 40 years of life in it i know i know it's a lot it's a lot of stuff it's ridiculous like yeah. i think my dad's house has like five bedrooms in it and only two are ever used and the other ones are just full of shit yeah it's like oh my god like dad you don't need your trumpet from high school <laughs> <laughs> my mom, but yeah, it's funny too. Like my mom has in the, their spare bedroom and also uh, in the master bedroom because they have a walk-in closet, and so that's where all of their clothes are. And the walk-in closet's like not in the master bedroom. The house was very poorly designed, but anyway, um, it's in like the den, which is just like one of the, the small bedroom. So there's like a bunch of books and stuff in there. But in the master bedroom, I don't know if either one of them actually use because there's like a his and her closet. I don't know if either one of them actually use the closets. But I know they're full. Oh, God. Like, I... And, like, full, full. And same in the spare bedroom. Like, I'm pretty sure that there's a... Bo- there's, like, a, a couple bins in front of the closet doors in the spare bedroom so that they don't come open. Oh. And it... it yeah, it stresses Just, me like... Out. We can't let that happen to ourselves, Megan. I know. I know. I'm like, trying. I'm working really, really hard. The purges... Well, oh, my God. I've moved how many times in the past five years? Four? Ugh, that's a depressing, that just really (laughs) hurt Mm -hmm. me in the heart right there, just saying that aloud. But it's still just like, okay, well, we filled all this stuff, and yet there's a lot of empty space, but I know downstairs there's a certain (laughs) cold storage room that's full of shit we aren't going to look at until we move again. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know the bookshelf that's in my living room? It's It's seven feet tall. Uh, and I love it. And I wish that I had bought more than one when I bought it. Even not, even if I hadn't put the second one together just to have like a matching one. Um, but when I left my parents' house, that bookshelf contained all of the books that I owned. And now there are five more upstairs. I was going to say, I'm just waiting to hear the punchline of how many more. Good Lord. Oh, it was really funny. And a few weeks ago, uh, a friend came over and we were talking about books and stuff. And the comment was like, I have never seen a place that has so many books and not enough shelf space. And I was like, yes, that's true. Because there's just piles of books everywhere in my living room. 
Oh, yeah. And also upstairs. But, like, yeah, this was just a comment about the living room because they hadn't seen the upstairs. And I was like, yeah, it's a constant challenge. You just need, like, a really specific addendum in your will to be like, and to the Edmonton Public Library, I donate all of my books, except for these six ones, which I shall leave to, you know. Yeah, yeah. One to Riva and one to Eric, whatever, whatever. Um, Was it John Keats, I think, who divided his chest of books among his friends? That was, like, the only line in his will. I think that's what it was. Uh, that was the was... only line in his will? God, believe... that's such a fucking dick move. <laughs> <laughs> I be- I've, I'm pretty sure it was Keats. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was him. Um, but I was also thinking, I was talking to a friend at work about this, speaking of, like, leaving things to places. And you know how, like, historical, like, historically there's, like, people's papers and letters and stuff, and, like, there's collections of them, and sometimes they're in private collections, and sometimes they're in you know, public collections in libraries and, and whatnot. Yeah. And, and I was like, but how do we do that now? Because, like, we have, like, you know, our online archives and stuff. And one of my colleagues, who also teaches English, he said, just in your will, it's like, if you have notebooks, just leave them to an institution and someone has to look through them. And I was oh, like, yeah, that's, I guess so. I was hey. like, that's a, that, that is absolutely a boss move. Like, just be like, I don't know what's in these. Here you go. Here, somebody in this department at this university, enjoy. Yeah, a, a contemporary look at 2000 to 2000, I don't know. Yeah. 45? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if what someone got some of my notebooks, if it would just, there would be a lot of, like, what? I can't even read this. This is impossible. There would be well, a lot of that. Well, there'd be, no, there'd be eight just about Cape Breton Island. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's very true. But I'm just looking, like, on my little credenza thing in my living room, there's, like, a stack of notebooks that are all full of stuff. And, like, what do you do with them when you're done, you know? I don't know, man. That's, like, this fucking future parasites problem. Put them in a banker's box and donate them to a university. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's the plan. Speaking of university, I think we should talk about a movie. Yes. Okay. I have so many comments and questions. And if we can segue right into it by discussing universities, that would be wonderful. American college, like the whole process is so bizarre to me. Oh my God. This is literally what my note said. College and university in the States is so bizarre to me. Do we have the same brain? Yeah. It's like, it's always been... It's always been such a a weird thing because you see it like sort of play out in TV and movies and stuff and like, but the thing is here like when you applied to go to university, how many places did you apply? One. Yeah, me too. And then there was no question that I was going to get in either. Like there was no, I didn't have to worry about it because my marks were fine and like, it's not wasn't super competitive to get into uh, the faculty of arts when I started. I think you needed like a sixty seven percent average, and I was well above that. Um, yeah. There was no question that that's where I was going to go. I lived For at sure. home all through school because why would I move? Because my parents were, like, right there. It was a half an hour bus ride to school. I mean, I knew I knew lots of people through choir and stuff in university who had, like, come from elsewhere. But they were mostly from Alberta. From, like, yeah. small towns. Right? And they had yeah. come to Edmonton to go to school. There were a few who had come from outside. 
um, and kind of based on the programs that they wanted and that sort of thing. But like for the most part, the people that I encountered in my classes who were from places that weren't Edmonton were from like Northern Alberta. Yeah, or up north, like I've got a good friend who her and her husband, her now husband, both met at university and they're both from Yellowknife. Yeah. But like, if you're living in Yellowknife, what's the nearest opportunity for you? Well, it's probably Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, Or like Grand Prairie College or or something like that. But if you want to go to like to a university, yeah, Edmonton would have been the one. Or like, and I, I think I went to school too with some people from like Northern BC. Yeah. And a few from like the western western parts of Saskatchewan, kind yeah, of like, absolutely. Uh, but north of Saskatoon. Yeah. And so that was basically, and not to say that there weren't people from elsewhere, at the university, but, but generally the people that speaking, I encountered, yeah, were were predominantly like Edmonton North, in BC, Alberta, and Saskatchewan, and then yeah, people from the territories. I was thinking about it though, and like when I went to university I guess I started 13 years ago but like if I tried to reapply today with those same like high school credentials that I had I don't think I'd get in I don't think I would either like shit has changed so much in terms of what the expectations are even in arts programs yeah that yeah maybe nowadays you would have to do multiple Options, Yeah, but so, in case anyone is wondering, we're going to be talking for the next hour at least about uh, To All the Boys I've Loved Before 3, whatever the subtitle on that movie is. Always and forever. And so, in this, it's their senior year in high school. As you know, we've talked about uh, Peter Kavinsky and Lara Jean before, many times. Um, And so it's their senior year in high school, and Peter is a lacrosse player. And gets a, schol- a lacrosse scholarship to Stanford. Mm-hmm. And so their plan is to go to Stanford together. Mm-hmm. And Lara Jean doesn't get into Stanford. Which I don't believe, based on what we know about her, I feel like she would have gotten in. But anyway, that's like an entirely separate issue. So yeah. she applies... She had applied elsewhere, too. She applied to NYU kind of on a lark. She applied to Berkeley and UCLA. And so she had mm-hmm. decided... That regardless, if she didn't get into Stanford, but, like, she was pretty sure she was going to, she was going to go to one of the schools in California. Yeah, she wanted a West Coast school to just to, like, be close. And, like, I understand her anxiety around, like, and concern around trying to do whatever she can to make the relationship work. But throughout the movie, I was getting so frustrated because I was like, Peter, you got into one school based on one athletic offer you were you had, and like, how are you dictating both of mm-hmm. your futures right now? Mm-hmm. That's it's, unfair. Yes, yes. And like, and I think it was just part of the plan, right? And so when she doesn't get into Stanford, she doesn't tell him. Well, she tells him a lie and says she does get in. Yes, and so she doesn't tell him the truth right away. And that is, you know, once she does, then it's tough. And he's crushed that she doesn't get in. But what I thought was really interesting was that he was crushed, but then he was immediately, like, crushed for her. Not because it wasn't the plan. Yes, that's exactly what I thought, too. Like, he hears it. He reacts in a supportive way and then offers a productive solution. 
Yes. And I was just like, this is so... At times, I was like, Peter's so much more mature than Laura Jean is. Mm-hmm. In just, like, having an issue and being like, okay, how do we tackle this issue? Yes, I thought so, too. And I thought that it was more evident in this one than in the mm-hmm. last one. Like, he, mm-hmm. you know, he's... he. I, I would say between... I think in the first one, they were kind of on the same plane. Um, and then... Well, they had to be, because it was a ruse. Yes, and, and so, but from, like, the start of the second one until the end of this one, I think he showed a lot more character growth than yes. she did, for sure. absolutely. But I thought that was really a neat thing when she finally tells him that she doesn't get into Stanford. Like, he's devastated, and you can see it, and he's probably in his mind devastated that they can't, like, do the plan. But then all of a sudden, he's like, no, no, wait. No, that's the wrong thing to be upset about right now. Mm-hmm. Because she's really upset. And he's like, we'll figure something out. And, and, you know, he's offering solutions and he's, like, being supportive and he's doing all the things that a good boyfriend would do. Yeah, um, I think it's because he was raised by a single mother. <laughs> I think that's probably very... And where she was raised by a single dad. Yeah. And I think that, that there's something about that that is probably fairly accurate. Yeah, Peter's way more thoughtful and empathetic than any 17-year-old boy ever has been. (laughs) Like, in the record books, I don't know if we need some, like, fucking Myers-Briggs personality test assessment on him, but goodness gracious. Yeah, he is very, very... Yeah, he's... He is... You're right. He's got a lot more um, emotional intelligence than most boys would ever hope to have. Can we, not even just that, my first note is about how he asks Kitty to teach him how to braid LJ's hair. hmm And I was like, this is a dream. <laughs> this, is, this is a fantasy that I feel like every woman with long hair who's in a heterosexual relationship Which is absolutely die if their husband could French braid their hair for them. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, like, he understands, I think, like, he understands that this is, of course, before she doesn't get into Stanford. But he understands that, like, they're moving away from their families and that that's a very important part of her relationship with her sister. With Kitty, yes. And so he's, like, you know, they're, so they're going to be moving away to to go to school, and, you know, she's not going to have that. And so this is sort of his way of being, like, um, you know, I can, there's, like, this comfort of home kind of thing. Yeah, I'll try to make this transition ease, easier. Because he's the type of, she's also the type of personality, too, like, she's very much a wallflower, right? And she's very, very introverted and, and whatnot. Um, whereas he's not mm-hmm. in the same way. And I, I feel like when you get them into that environment, um, you know, if they were in the same college environment, I feel like he would be making friends a lot sooner than she would. Also, he would have, like, a team around him of people. Whereas yes. she would be, like, sort of adrift. Yeah. Solo in the English lit department. Yeah. I'm just like, Kate, this is an issue I had, too. Because I was like, what the fuck, Laura Jean? Why are you not going to culinary school? Mm-hmm. Like, everywhere she goes, she's talking about baking, she's doing baking, she's going to all those bakeries in New York and Korea. Like, mm-hmm. 
Oh, why aren't you doing that? Yeah, that seems like an odd one. Seems like an odd one. Um, so, one of the things that I really enjoyed, I didn't write any notes down, I know you wrote a lot of notes down, and when you sent me your video last night, it made me laugh, um, at how many you took. Um, one of the things that I thought was really, really interesting, in like a weird way, is how they didn't address the second movie at all. Yes! It felt a lot to me like Transform like this sounds so stupid, but like Transformers three after Transformers two. Um, I remember going to see it with a friend of mine, and she was like, "I don't remember what happened in Transformers two. Do you think that's gonna matter?" And I was like, "Uh, probably not." And it a hundred percent did not matter. There was like no continuity whatsoever, and I felt very much the same here. That like yeah. what happened in the second one was inconsequential to everything that went on, except for the bit with Jen. Well, and, like, Trina, the... Yes. His dad's new girlfriend, then fiancé, then wife in this movie. That moved fast, hey? Yep. <laughs> that was, like, a year. Yeah, it was quick. It was very, They very seem, quick. like, absolutely lovely, though. She's just, like, stepmother of the century. Yeah. But yeah, I was surprised too. There's no real discussion of anything, which is fine, I think, because I think that was challenging for Laura Jean to just be like, okay, I've, if I'm actually going to have like a real romantic relationship, am I even in the right one? And this one, she's like, yes, I know I'm in the right one, but like now that I have it, how do I keep it? Like there's... Her concerns regarding relationships have changed. So it's fine with that not yeah. necessarily being brought up again. Yeah. But it just sounded really weird. It just felt really weird that there was no nothing about that addressed. Yeah. In any capacity. Except for, like, when she gets to New York and they're on that, like, weird senior trip. Which we could talk about that in a minute, too. Oh, um, God. I have so many notes about that. And, like, her and Jenna are talking about NYU ultimately and they talk a little bit at school and they're like getting along again that's the mm -hmm. only sort of holdover from the second movie yeah which I think is good because Jen was an unnecessary bully in the first one yeah and there's there's a lot going on with her in terms of shit that she's going through where I don't think because of her history she doesn't have really anyone else to talk about it with except for Peter yes so I think that was a huge thing and she's got like uh, another friend that she's around with the whole time so in this movie at least so like yeah it's nice to see also did you notice how her look was super toned down yes like her hair was more of like a mousy natural brown and she wasn't all done up and like she might have had nice shoes on but her makeup was really low key i was like okay they're kind of yeah. demonstrating a little bit of change here for jen yeah yeah it did and, it, and whenever she was on screen like there wasn't that same weird standoffish vibe that no she had in the first two which was nice that she's like grown well, she'd say weird things, but then it wouldn't necessarily be like, blah, 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 blah. It'd be like, well, she has to go because Peter's going to be prom king. Just like factual, 
walk yes. away. Yeah. Well, and so I'm, I'm looking here at English departments in the States because I was curious. And according to this one website and a whole bunch of other ones, that Stanford has one of the best English departments in the country, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Um, and it's like behind uh, Brown, Harvard, and Columbia. And then Interesting. there's Stanford, and then Princeton, and then Yale. So, like, it's the Ivies and Stanford in the top. I think that's funny, too, because it didn't seem like Laura Jean ever had any enthusiasm to go to Stanford. No, like it, it was just, just kind of happened. It was just the plan. Yeah. And so it was, like, decided. And then, of course, she goes to New York and falls in love with it and yada, yada, yada. But do you also agree with me that there's no fucking way LJ can handle New York City in winter? Oh, my God, no. She's <laughs> she's absolutely hooped. Um, she's as so soon fucked. As, yeah. I mean, she's not going to have a car, so she doesn't have to worry about driving in the snow. But, uh, she, yeah, like, she's absolutely fucked as soon as it gets cold. Um, Absolutely. She won't know how to, she will not know how to deal with that. Um, but yeah, it's, so it, I'm, it was interesting because it was funny as I was watching it because uh, my friend Aaron was watching it at the same time. So we were texting back and forth. And um, as soon as they, she went, they went to New York and there was that little like piece before that she had applied to NYU. I was like, she's 100% falling in love with NYU and clearly that's where she's going to go to college. Yeah, I um, put that in my notes too. Clearly, yeah. she's going here. <laughs> of course, and, and and I mean, I'm not surprised, and I'm glad that at the end, like that's the decision that you know they made, that she made. Um, mm -hmm. But it was just it, that was so predictable um, that that was what was going to happen. And I think the thing that sort of sealed it for me, what I thought was really neat, was like while they were there and they, like went to that college party, which again, what? But anyway, um, yeah, I got some things to say. We'll come back to that. <laughs> But when they, like, moved that couch on the subway, um, yeah. there, that was, like, that was sort of the, the moment where you could see that she felt like this is where she belonged. Yeah, and I'm curious, like, why? Because she's not... I was surprised she wanted to go to the party in the first place, which made me think, and I think I wrote it down, like, is she trying to compete with Jen? To go to NYU? Like, is she trying to be Jen? Because it didn't seem like she really cared about anything until she saw Jen on the campus tour. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I don't know. I think maybe because she's the kind of person who needs, like, that external validation. Yeah. I assume based on all of the things that we know about Jen, which admittedly is not a ton she doesn't feature very prominently in any of these. I would assume that her and Jen, they were friends before yes. all of the things happened. Um, but I would assume that Laura Jean, like, wouldn't be friends with someone who's dumb. Like, do you know no, what I mean? No, but there's, there's also that weird vibe of, like, Laura Jean, you're right, total wallflower, doesn't like to go to parties. And then Jen's like, oh, yeah, we're going to this cool party. And Laura Jean's like, I'm there. And I was like, what the fuck? Calm down. Well, I think she was also in that in that space where she was trying to prove that she can make a decision. Oh, okay. Yeah, a little bit because she was. I think you know when because they got split up, right? Remember the how the, the you would never the split tour up groups, with people, yeah. but anyway, whatever. 
Um, anyway, clearly whoever wrote this movie has never taken students anywhere. But No, um, it was fucking insane. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they split them up by, like, last name. Like, that's never going to happen. You would have three options, and you'd be like, hey, what do you want to do? Sign mm-hmm. up. That's how you would organize that. But anyways, so because she is with Chris, with her best friend, um, for the day, they kind of get to experience New York City in a way that would be very different from how she would have experienced it with Peter. Right. And I think in doing that, I think the reason that she ended up going to that party was because she had had this day where she felt like she could make some decisions for herself. Right. Not that, like, Peter's necessarily pressuring her, but, like, but you know what I mean? There isn't that extra influence. Right. There's not that weight of having to worry about someone else's needs. It's just, like, we're two teens in New York City, and we're gonna have fun. Yeah. And this is the thing that I'm gonna do, and I'm gonna go check out this party. And she got to see bits of the city, and I liked that there was a nice little moment there at that party where, like, Jen and Chris were being friendly with each other instead of being bitchy about things. Yeah. Like they have um, So why would any college senior want to hang out with a 17-year-old? Yeah, I don't know. Why? <laughs> and why would they clearly invite them to a party with alcohol and a live band? Who apparently mm-hmm. is also on Spotify just playing at this college party? Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I agree. I, and I think, like, I feel like it would have been different had it been, like, someone who was maybe, like, a sophomore and not a senior, you know? Yeah. But there's a big difference between being, like, in grade 12 and being ready, you know, almost graduated from university. Yeah. Right? Well, like, depending on how, place. how long your program is, you could be, like, fucking 25. Yeah. So I yeah, like I feel like I feel like there's a there's a pretty large gap there. So who knows. But I think the party was just a, a vehicle for us to be able to see all three of those characters kind of like doing something that they wouldn't have had the opportunity to do had they been in back in Portland. Yes, of course. Right. And I think that And the other Because thing, Portland is a city just absolutely devoid of culture. Yeah, there's nothing going on in Portland at all. <laughs> Um, the other thing, that's another thing about this series that I found troubling, because the books apparently are set on the East Coast. Um, really? I think so, yes. And so, and which is why the lacrosse thing was interesting to me. Because there, are, yes, there is lacrosse, obviously, in certain schools on the West Coast. Um, but primarily, like, the big lacrosse schools are on the East Coast. And so it seems weird that they stuck with, like, Peter playing lacrosse. Yeah. Because, um... You know what I mean? Like, just, like, why not a different sport? Why not volleyball or something like that? Like, that's a little bit more, like, West Coast oriented, if that was sort of the, the tack that they were going to take. Um, but I, what I found interesting, like, sort of about that whole idea of New York City being, like, the bastion of culture and stuff, it, it mirrored really well with her being in Korea with her family, right? And, like, kind of thriving in this metropolis, big metropolis. But... Through all three of these movies, we saw nothing of Portland. Like, there was nothing happening in no. the city. And clearly it's because it was filmed in Vancouver. But, like, do you know what I mean? It just, it feels really weird that you have this movie that's, you know, she doesn't want to leave home and she's sad that her sister goes away to go to school and all of this kind of stuff. But there's nothing about the place that they live that, like, makes it seem like a place that anyone would want to be. 
Yeah, other than like the main, I'd say, locations outside of her home is just the school and the diner. Yeah. Like there wasn't even like a, a skyline shot or anything. No. No. Which I thought was well, really I think they're odd. pretty far in the burbs too. Maybe, but it just, I just felt like that was really odd to me. That that was sort of how you know how how it's presented to us that they live in a city. It's not like they're living in a small town. No. Or like a fake town that doesn't really exist in real life. You know. Anyway, I yeah, just was, I, I thought bizarre. I thought that was I thought that was weird because then we get that moment where she's in New York City at that party and she's like on the rooftop. Right, and sees the city out in front of her. And that's, of course, when, if, you know, anyone who's mm-hmm. ever watched a movie before knows that she's made her decision and she's going to go to NYU. Yeah. And that's great. And I'm glad she makes that decision. But she also <laughs> makes that decision because of the party and the skyline. Like, sure, she applied to the program, but it's not like mm-hmm. she did a campus tour. With Jen, she just, like, tagged along with some seniors. But it was interesting. But I thought her moment of realization when she realized that they were actually on the NYU campus, because I don't think she realized it at first. Um, No, and she's like, wait, it's here? It's not in the burbs? And I'm like, no, it's in the city. It's the whole point. And what's interesting, too, because I remember when I was in New York, like, it's, it's, yeah, it's just right there, right? And it's, it doesn't feel like a campus, like what we're used to. No, you just, like, stumble into it. Yeah, which is kind of which is kind of cool, and it's not like when I went to when I was in Ireland in Dublin, like Trinity College is a gated campus, and it's got Ooh, like yeah. ten well, even high just stone thinking walls. about like UBC is like fucking a nightmare to get to if you live in the city, like yeah, <sighs> yeah, and so so it, I thought that was kind of interesting that she all of a sudden like she feels really at home in this place, and all of a sudden she realizes that she's like on the campus. Mm-hmm. And it's not just walking through a bunch of buildings and stuff. And she realizes, like, oh, okay. Um, and so, like, I think that's interesting. But she's really bad for someone who wants to be, you know, for someone who who's really a good communicator in writing. She's a very bad communicator. Yeah. When it comes to speaking her feelings. Not that, like, I can really say anything about that because I'm not good at that either. But, like, she's real bad at it. Well, I think even if you made a mistake, like slipping up and sending a text to your sister saying something in the affirmative instead of your boyfriend about his question about getting into college, like, you wouldn't be like, oh, it's going to hurt his feelings. I'll just wait two weeks. Like, Yeah, no, I'd be like, oh, shit. No, that's really not what I meant to say. Yeah, because obviously it's going to be worse if you wait. Yeah. Oh, and he's just, I got so, so nervous when the movie started, when I was like, oh no, it's going to be all about prom and those fucking promposals, and goddamn, they're watching that fucking movie, and they're talking about grand gestures, and I was like, oh no, Peter's such a good boyfriend, he's going to internalize this, and he's going to do so many grand gestures. (laughs) Yeah. And he did, he did three. He really did, but they were so good. Well... I mean, for they were they were good and like he knows his girlfriend well enough to know. I know that he knows that's her so well. Exactly what she wants. I know. Like when he's 
with his fucking Jeep outside the house just blaring and music is all decorated in Stanford and then mm-hmm. at the diner when he spells out prom and whipped cream on their pancakes. I know, like adorable. Adorable, but also why are they kneeling down? I was like, oh my god, is he also asking her to marry him? What? <laughs> <laughs> it's just a dance. Yeah, but prom is a weird thing, too. That's another thing about American whatever that I don't understand. Like, prom is very bizarre to me. Well, I know that some people in Ontario do prom. That I did not know. Yeah. If I remember a certain Ontario native that we worked with at a certain school did prom. (laughs) Oh, yes, that's right. I'd forgotten about that. And I know, I think a cousin of Chris's in Ottawa... Was talking about prom too. Interesting. So like we, it's, it's essentially grad. Like yeah, yeah. But but I don't know. Is there anyone who would be like at your high school fucking do a goddamn flash mob to ask their girlfriend if they want to go to grad with them? No, not at all. Like obviously you're gonna go to grad with them. Yeah, then that's always the thing I've always thought was really weird about it. Like, if you're dating, why would you have to ask? But anyway. Um, but also, no, at our school, and at our school it's very different because a lot of kids can't afford to go to the banquet. Yeah. Which is one thing about prom as it appears on TV that I feel is a little bit less, like, prohibitive than the way that we do things. Because there is no dinner. Right. Right. And so there's probably a cost because oftentimes it's not like at the school or whatever. But there's still it's, some sort of conference center and decorations and Yeah, but there's no sit down meal. And so that mm. reduces the cost like quite considerably. Because I, I know that like at my school there's lots of kids who can't afford to go. And oh so yeah, it's like upwards of $120 a ticket. Um, I think ours is about 90 bucks, But yeah, like it's expensive. And yep. it's not just for kids. It's like a family thing, too. And it's $90 per person. Mm-hmm. Um, which is pricey. And so that's the one thing about the, the prom as it, like, appears on, on screen that I've always thought was, like, maybe And that's better. never a concern about, like, how much it costs to do prom. No. Never. Never. Was... There's, like, one kid who can't afford it. Yeah. There's... There's also a question that I had, too. Like, why is she so worried about the distance? Like, you're telling me her American obsgyne father can't afford for her to get a plane ticket to Stanford every six weeks or whatever? Mm-hmm. Like, their house is a fucking dream. Their backyard is a dream. The backyard wedding was a dream. Like, they have money. Like... Margot's going to school in Scotland. She's not yeah. taking out student loans for that shit. No way. No, absolutely not. No. Like, they're they're not hurting for cash. And No, and look at that. How And if they were, they could sell their house. Yeah. Like, that house is a fucking dream. It is. And Peter's not either. He's got, like, a fucking brand new huge-ass Jeep that's just his, apparently. Yeah. Like... So that's why I was like, okay, well, sure, but, like, obviously you guys have none of these questions about which college you're going to 
are about money. Like, sure, Peter got no. a scholarship, no. but that was about acceptance, not about the only way he could go. Yeah, exactly. And that's how... I mean, he probably... I would imagine he wouldn't have got into Stanford without the scholarship, would be my guess. Um, yes. But he got in because of, of the scholarship. And the other thing that I thought was interesting, too, is she was talking about how far it was from, like, Stanford to these other colleges. And it's, like, an hour on transit from Stanford to Berkeley. <laughs> And I was like, what are you complaining about? It's like, what is wrong with you? But I think the other part of it too, and, and this is something that for, for us is not necessarily always true. In lots and lots of places in the States where you go to college, like if you're a freshman, you have to live in like student housing. You don't have a choice. Right. And I think, I think that makes a difference to like how you view the experience. Yeah. Cause you feel kind of handcuffed to the locale itself. Yeah, whereas, like, my friends, uh, my friends when I was in, in university, like, some friends that I met in choir, uh, there were some who were living in Lister Hall, but then there was others who were living just elsewhere. Yeah, I was living in Sherwood Park with my dad. Um, like, my, my friend Amy, she, I met her in choir and, and whatnot, and she was living in, there had been that year, there had been, like, some kind of a rental scam, and so her and a friend had, like, put down a deposit on a place that, like, wasn't actually available. Um, and so there was a bunch of that going on. She ended up moving into a townhouse that was like five minutes away from my mom and dad's house. And so we sang together in choir. And so like, I, I would often go and pick her up and we would just drive and you know, whatever. And it was, it was kind of nice that way. Um, but like, that's far from the university. Yes, for sure. And that's, but I mean, they had found a place closer to the university, but there was this, they got caught in this scam. And so they, there was nowhere for them to live ultimately but I think that's part of the other thing too when we watch like American based stuff is that there is that expectation that you live on campus when you're in yeah at least your freshman and sophomore years you're like in student housing or some sort of frat house or sorority or yeah something like that that's and true. so it's so the campus so the campus experience is much more important than just yeah. the, the program because you're right. you're kind of stuck with being there whereas like for us yeah I was living at home so I would like go and occasionally I would go drink after class and then I would take the bus home yeah exactly which is nice it's nice to have like physical space from essentially like your work you know mm-hmm. um also speaking about Peter's jeep <laughs> Uh, so after prom, she invites him up to the house. Yep. And he's like, but it's like almost past curfew. And she's like, well, just don't get caught. And I'm like, you're going to park your Jeep right outside and you're not going to get fucking caught? It's the only vehicle on the goddamn street. And sure, your dad might be staying at his girlfriend's house, but it's the house across the street. Yeah, yeah. Like, Which I also idiots. thought, it, but I also thought, like, of the two people who were going to be like, don't get caught, she's not the one who's going to say that. No. Like, at all. Although, I have to say, like, that whole development with the curfew and the way that he sort of treated that stuff, I was just like, look at this lovely young man who's, like, trying to be so respectful of the rules and... That's so horny. So horny. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just thought, like, there was just something about that that I thought was really nice and refreshing, that, like, the boy in the relationship wasn't 
the one pushing the envelope all the time? Yeah, I think he just, like, he has a lot of respect for LJ's family. And, like, obviously that began with his just excellent relationship with Kitty, who's the first one to hug him when they get home from Korea. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But, yeah, yeah, I think he, and, you know, he asks, like, do you still want me to come to your dad's wedding and, like, make sure you say congrats for me? Like, I think he has a lot of affection for their family that he wouldn't necessarily want to, like, break that trust. Can we talk about their breakup? Yeah, we should, because it was ridiculous. Okay, so I want to hear your reasons for why you thought it was ridiculous. I just thought it was ridiculous because it was ridiculous, like, it was, cause, because it was basically the reason why there's always bad things happening in, like, Nicholas Sparks movies. Because, like, you're just not talking. And I just thought it was ridiculous because I feel like where, where LJ was in her, like inside her own head was mm-hmm. mostly her own doing yeah especially because why I thought that like the hat box gift to him I thought that was nice of like all their keepsakes and she's yes. like well I want you to have them because like we're gonna be far apart and it's like something to remember me more than you know just a letter in a yearbook sort of thing Mm -hmm. i was like that's actually nice and thoughtful and peter like that's when i had my first cry episode when he said like this is you saying goodbye oh and i totally 100% understand why why he said that because the way she phrased it made Mm -hmm. it sound like because to say like to you you know for you to remember me by that's, yeah, that's like, here, I'm going to give you this thing and then I'm leaving your life, right? Like, yeah, we're Yeah, that's we're done. something you say when you're never going to see somebody again. And that's not what she meant. But because no. she was so far in her own head about all of it, because she's still, I think, at her core, quite insecure about their relationship. Yes. Right? And I think well, especially that, Yeah, because he was prom king and then she just, like, sat alone at prom. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, anyway... I was what really happened? glad too that that speaking of the prom thing that it wasn't Jen who was the prom queen. I'm glad it oh, was somebody God. that didn't exist in the world before that exact moment. Yes. Um, because otherwise it would have that would have just been like far too cliche. Um, but it also wasn't fair of Peter to just be like, "Well, okay, you're just doing this because you think." You're not doing this because you think it's the right thing or it's in your heart or it's something you want to do. You're doing all this because you think you should. Mm-hmm. So why don't we just cut the cord right now because, like, you're being so disingenuous with me. And, like, we're we're so close together. We're here. And yet you don't feel close to me. And so you want to force us into a sexual relationship to stimulate mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. It's like, damn, Peter. I know. I know. It was crazy. Like, and again, it was nice to have the the boy be the one to have those to thoughts. To say no. And to vocalize that. Yes. And to be that's... like, the vibe's all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, and the other thing, too, that I think it's important to remember is that he has experience with that where she doesn't. Yes. Right? And so, like, it's not really addressed, but, like, it's something that we... That we know to be true, 
right, mm-hmm. is that he's got experience with that, and she definitely does not. And so, you know, for her, um, she thinks, like, this is sort of what's expected. And he's like, no, this isn't how it should be. Yeah. And you know what? That scene and the scenes that follow it, especially with um, Peter and his dad, I thought the cast was, like, excellent grade A acting in this film. Mm-hmm. Like, when Peter walks out and it's just, like, a straight scene of Laura Jean just, like, going through, like, rage and fear and regret and just finding, like, absolute despair. Like, I thought she did a fucking great job. Mm-hmm. I think and so, too. Peter, I think oh, God. He was devastating. Yes. He was absolutely devastating. Um, what did you think of that stuff with his dad, that whole storyline? I wish that they would have maybe introduced it a little bit better. Um, but it's also, like, it's one of those stories that, like, it's not that his dad has been gone for that long. Like, you know what I mean? He didn't leave when Peter was, like, two or whatever. Because in, yeah. the, in the first movie, he tells us that it was, it's been, like, a couple of years or a few years, like, you know, so he had a dad in his life for a while, and now just basically doesn't, because I remember in the first one he says that he hates his dad, and she's like, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the effort that he made to, like, try to get to know his kid a little bit, and I think probably recognizing that it's, like, close, you know, he's graduating from high school soon and, like, probably going away to college and, like, you know... I understand sort of that impetus, I think, to build that, try and build that relationship. And I thought that Peter showed, like, remarkable maturity when he stayed in the in the diner to talk to his dad. Yes, especially because he's obviously so angry and resentful. And there was one, like, heartbreaking line that he said to LJ early... Which was, oh shit, something about, like, he's never going to get over not being chosen mm-hmm. by his dad. Mm-hmm. Oh, nothing worse than not being chosen. Yeah. So his dad, like, leaves the family. Obviously, I don't know how soon he got married to this new woman and had kids and then pretty much, like, just dropped off. The deep mm-hmm. end. Yeah. And Peter says, like, I don't know why he even cares that I'm going to Stanford because he doesn't get to be proud of it. He has nothing to do with it. Well, and I think that that whole idea that Peter's, like, so um, wary of being abandoned because it's happened to him before, I think is the reason why he reacts the way that he does when she gives him the hat box. Yes, totally. Because it to feels him, like a farewell gift. Yeah. And so it's because mm-hmm. to him, she's leaving him. Mm-hmm. And, like, that broke my heart. Yeah. I cried for the second time. <laughs> oh, no. That was the third time. We skipped something I cried at that we'll come back again to. Okay. But when his dad says, I love you, Peter, in the diner, I wept. Yeah. It's because Peter, like, wants to hear it. Mm-hmm. But now he knows that, like, he... what And I get a little bit frustrated with this in like rom-coms because it's like oh the thing that he his dad is saying him is like exactly the lesson that he needs to 
learn with LJ. And so he's like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, it's a little bit too clear Mm -hmm. cut. Mm -hmm. And his dad's like, well, I fucked up and I didn't try. And if you love someone, you have to try. Mm -hmm. And Pierre's like, oh, I guess we can try. Yeah. Well, and I I think, like, that happens a lot. Like, you know, where all of a sudden the, the, like, mystical helper character shows up and is like, hey, here's the lesson that you needed. P.S. Have fun. Right? And I feel like, yeah, it's aggravating when it happens because it does always feel so contrived. But did you also think that you, like, would die for a book from Joan's perspective? The waitress at the diner? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, the story she could tell. Oh, just of this one fucking family. Like, man... Oh, yeah, the the second time that I cried is Kitty's the fucking culprit again. Mm-hmm. Miss Shenanigans purposely didn't tell her about getting into NYU. Yeah. And then she's like, it's because I'm going to miss you at 12. I know. Oh. I know. Wept. Openly know. wept at that. Well, and you have to feel for Kitty a little bit, too. Like, her oldest sister is in Scotland. And the next one's going to go to New York and be, like, across the country. And she's got however old, how old is she, like, 8th grade? Yeah, I was thinking 13, 14. You know, so she's, she's... She's got growing to do. She's going to need help. Their dad is an absolute buffoon. (laughs) And she's not going (laughs) to... Yes, she's not going to have her sisters there. Although she's going to have a stepmom. Who yes, it who's looks wonderful. like has yes, and they have a really good relationship. So like, there's yeah. that at least. Um, and that scene where uh, Doctor Coffee's proposing is perfect. I um, know. I thought that was just so sweet. That when you know Peter drives away and then LJ just like sees it happen. That's so cute. Which I thought was, but you're right. Like, how could Peter not get caught <laughs> if he had decided Seriously. to stay the night <laughs> right across the fucking street and like a vehicle that is so recognizable that you could not imagine it was anyone else's it should pretty much say in fucking bright pink letters peter kavinsky on it yes like yes oh but it's just it was so nice too to have all this drama but to have the kids like so positively focused on like their dad and their dad's relationship and like how close they are like when they went to korea and found the lock that the mom had left there and added Mm -hmm. their own like all of that is so lovely and trina just being like i'm not trying to replace your mom i'm not trying Mm -hmm. to shove her out of this home that you all shared together like it was just also, so like, nice to have that balance of, like, yes. a non-confrontational relationship that was just, like, so healthy. And she, and, like, there's those there's moments where, like, Trina's trying, you know, to, like, what her and LJ are, like, having that conversation, you know, when LJ's, like, having a day, right? And, yeah. And it's, and it, it's kind of lighthearted and funny and, and whatnot. And which you wouldn't normally get. It wasn't standoffish, and it wasn't. There was no like, you're not my mom. Like you no. know, none of none of that, which was really nice because you get that a lot when step parents are involved in, on, and I'm sure in real life too. I wouldn't know, but like, there, 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 I, there seems to be 
that, right? Where like there is that sort of instant confrontation that just sort of exists because of the way that those relationships get structured. Oh, for sure. But I think like that comes back to like the relationship with her father and how much of a buffoon he is because he's like, <laughs> why aren't you at school? And she's like, I don't know, mono, dysentery, whatever's more contagious. And he's like, okay, see ya. <laughs> All right. So you but have I, I three teenage think... girls and you know when to not say yes. anything. And that's exactly what I was just going to say. He's a buffoon, but he's also not a buffoon because yeah. he understands that like, you know, dysentery is obviously just a code for like I'm not going to school because I'm not going to school and there's nothing you can do about it uh-huh um which I think is is interesting I thought it was interesting too when they were talking about uh the wedding a little bit and Kitty had decided that she was gonna wear a tuxedo yes and LJ was like no you're not and I was like it's not your wedding LJ like shut up yeah, well, and Kitty says that, like, stop projecting all of this control over the wedding just because you're sad about Peter. And, like, yeah. Trina and her dad are like, <gasps> and obviously LJ runs away, and she, yeah. Kitty's like, what? I'm right. <laughs> and Trina's true. like, yeah, you might be right, but it wasn't right to say it. Yeah, it's true. Very, very true. And it was funny, too, because that moment reminded me there's a, a thing in a, one of the episodes of New Girl where Schmidt does something really dumb, and he's, like, projecting on everybody else and Jess is like you did a bad thing deal with it yeah right and she's you know just sort of very like blunt about it and LJ needs that in her life for sure for sure but also Kitty needs to know that like sure LJ's your sister and you guys like say mean things to each other because you're sisters but sometimes you gotta fucking keep it to yourself because mm-hmm. it's not helpful and it's not productive. Yeah. And that was kind of nice to have Trina just be like... Yeah. Yeah, kind of softly and gently, but pretty firmly. Like, what yeah. you did was pretty dickish, too. Yeah. And it's and it's nice, too, that, like, she can do that without feeling like she's overstepping. Yeah. Ugh, just a dream. A dream house. A dream family. Mm-hmm. A dream suit. A dream wedding. A dream backyard. Oh my god. Okay, so I have like eight notes at the end here about moments that I cried. Can I just put them down? <laughs> yeah, let's hear them. <laughs> cried during the wedding, obviously. Cried when the family was all dancing together. And John Corbett's dan- dad dancing was so <laughs> fucking good. It's amazing. Cried during the sparkler send-off. Mm-hmm. Cried when I saw the yearbook in the tent. Oh my god, Yes. Cried when he played the song. Uh huh. And then my last note is in all caps. She cut her hair. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. She did cut her hair. And I liked did that. Did you too. notice that too? Yeah, I liked that she did. Me too. No more scrunchies, like, girl. No, just time for time for a change. And I really like. So that ending scene, Erin was probably about five minutes ahead of me when she was watching it. And she was like, oh my God, Megan, the end. She's like, you will love it. And I did. <laughs> I thought that whole thing was just like, it was beautiful. Peter's letter was perfect. It the was. The concept and I, of a new contract was fucking perfect. And his like, the dumb boy handwriting, like oh. all of it was so good. It was just, it was, it was wonderful. So good. And knowing like, obviously having this 
epiphany after talking to his dad and like I think that was helpful too just to hear a parent say like I made a mistake mm-hmm. and I'm trying to fix it and yeah like all you can do is try kind of thing and him being like oh shit okay I can say it was a mistake and then obviously conniving with Kitty to set this all up mm-hmm like, Kitty needs to start a fucking private detective agency, I swear to God. She does, or something. So, I don't, yeah. Maybe not, I don't know, a private detective, but something. Because she's so good at, like, at Sneaky Sneaks. She's so good at it. Yes. I mean, she's she started all of this by mailing those letters. So, anyway. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's the true anti-hero of these books and movies. She, she really is. She really, really is. But yeah, that, I thought that ending was just like a really nice way. And the th- other thing I really liked about the ending in general was that it's a little bit ambiguous. Yeah. It was nice. It was really, really nice to to see her say, like, I don't know what the future holds. But this is where I'm at right now. And yeah. I, I, I liked that because I was a little bit concerned at the beginning when they had like the plan and she had her dreams like mapped out. Um, did you see the title of her fantasy book? <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, that was that made me laugh. Like I, I actually had to go back and rewind. If you didn't um, see it closely enough, it says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, yeah. the line said to her most often by Peter in the first two movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was just... Oh, yeah, it, it was, was it, so it, that cute. That cracked me up. That cracked me up. And, like, so listening, listening, like, or watching her, like, dream sort of take shape and then watching it all fall apart in reverse when she doesn't get in. Yeah. Was like it was. I thought that was really, really well done. But I was concerned at the very beginning that like they were gonna get married at eighteen. Like, do you know what I mean? Yes, that's why I was worried when he went down on one knee when he was giving her pancakes. I was like, oh no, oh yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, and they and I'm so I'm glad that the oh, that that little voiceover at the end just kind of left it open to yeah. the possibilities. For sure, uh, and I liked how she was like, well. You know, in all the books and movies I've watched, this never works. But we're not just anyone. We're Peter and we're Laura Jean. Yeah. You know, like... I also really appreciated, too, how... Because I felt like that was a very respectful ending of each of them. Like, they're each trying to do their best and are willing to work at it. But I mm-hmm. also really appreciated how respectful their sex scene was. Mm-hmm. Like, all you see are just, like, bare shoulders, and it's just, like, it just looked safe, and it looked comfortable, and it looked happy, and that was just really nice to see for yeah for those two, or even just refreshing for, you know, a rom-com about teens. Yes. Because, yeah, usually, usually it's not treated in that way. No. And, like, I don't necessarily want to say, like, delicate, but it kind of was. It was very tender. It was very tender, very delicate, and just, like, very warm and loving. And I think if they would have, you know, gone through with it when Laura Jean was pushing it after prom, it would not have been shot in that way. No, not at all. I think it would have been very, very different. 
Um, but like, it, and it was nice too that they, it took the whole movie to get to that point. Yeah. Because there was all the other stuff sort of going on in between and, and it was never like off the table, but it wasn't the only thing that they talked about either. Yeah. Well, especially because she, she's also not necessarily ashamed of their like non-sexual relationship she tells chris they burn low and slow yeah it's like that's such a fucking great metaphor for sex oh my god yeah but yeah like she's just like that's just not how we do and that's fine and it's just like it's it was nice to not have that be the issue you know like a lot of movies about Grade 12, graduating, senior years, like, you gotta fuck the crush on prom night. Yes. Or homecoming, or whatever, or yes. Ho- or whatever it is. Yes. And it's, it's always so contrived, not only the scenario itself, but the experience, and it didn't seem like it was for Peter and Laura Jean, which is really nice. Yeah, and, and like, the relationship that they have, obviously it started off as a ruse in the first one, mm-hmm. but, like... The whatever it is that they have is a lot different from what you tend to see. Yes. In media portrayals of like teenage relationships. Because it's either like you have the two like quirky weird kids who get together and like, you know, and he is not a quirky weird kid. No. You know, he's, he's prom like, king. He's the prom king. He's the hottest guy in school. He's like the star athlete. He's all of those things. But Laura and Jean's not a she's all that gets a makeover and everyone finally sees how great she is. Like, she's got her own shit. Yes. Absolutely. Um, and the two of them seem to just fit really well together. Yeah. Like, when they when when he asks her to prom with the pancakes and then she puts the quarter in the jukebox and they're like, they they agree that they're gonna like, just that's their song. And then Fucking she's like, fruity place. <laughs> and she's like, absolutely not. And he's like, no, it, it is. This is our song. Um, <laughs> like, and I, there's something about that that I think is really nice too. Cause he's like, no, this is perfect. Well, it's we're fo- so cute. We're following the rules and this is how it ended up. Yes. It's also really cute how much effort they put into going for dates. Like she essentially like recreates the big Lebowski for him. Mm hmm. Ugh, Peter's movie taste is just fucking disgusting, man. He's a teenage boy. It's just, yeah. Ugh, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, Laura Jean, you shouldn't take him soap making because he no. loves Fight Club. <laughs> Kitty, great advice. Thank you. Oh, Kitty's the best. Um, but yeah, like, it's just, there's just something about it that's really... Really nice. And I also, what also I found interesting with this relationship and thinking back to what we said about, like, Trina being in their lives. Like, there's that, that, when, when her and Laura Jean have that conversation, like, in the morning or whatever, after she doesn't get into Stanford, like, Trina's just there in the morning. So it's clearly yeah. a thing that happens. And it's not addressed, it's not weird, it's just like, this is our new normal. Yep. And she's around. And it's just kind of nice because she, like, fits into the family. Yeah. But I think she, like, put a lot of effort into like I said like making sure that the kids know that she's she's there because she loves them and she doesn't want to be someone she can't be like their mom and all mm-hmm. these other things like 
it's done in a really purposeful and respectful way, which is mm-hmm. just, yeah, super, super refreshing. It is. Because, yeah, you don't, you really, truly don't often get that. Well, it's just, like, it seems like every person in her family is so unselfish, except for Kitty. <laughs> except for Kitty. But Kitty's, like, but Kitty's selfish in, like, particular ways, right? Because I think for Kitty, like, she's the youngest by a lot. And she's an absolute gremlin. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, yes, but I was thinking, like, what I, what I was thinking is, like, she's the youngest by a lot. And she recognizes that, like, as these things change, right, that she's going to be left by herself. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was really neat that, like, that Lara Jean gave her the passwords for her, like, college acceptance things. Yeah, just and like, gave that to it. Kitty. I don't and was care. like, I want yeah. you to to do this for me. That's a huge um, trust show right there. Absolutely, which I thought was was kind of a nice way to remind us that, like, you know, they are quite close. Yeah. Even despite their age. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously, Margot's not really in this very much, and so like that's the relationship the family relationship that that gets developed the most and i thought that was kind of nice but again let me reiterate kitty is the one who hugs peter first. yes i know it's wonderful <laughs> <laughs> it's so lovely but i mean like Aww. there's a it, it's in the remember in the first one there's where they're like watching whatever movie it is that they're watching mm-hmm. um and he and kitty like start wrestling and he thinks to put the bowl of popcorn on the floor before they do yes He's so like, fucking thoughtful. I know, it's he is. But, like, stupid. it's very clear that he has endeared himself to the entire family. Yes. Uh, do you know who what I thought was interesting, too? The absence of Josh I thought was interesting. I was going to say that as well. Just like, like they kind of erased the second movie, Josh is gone, too. And Josh was, like, a fairly important part of LJ's life. Yeah. But was he? I don't think he was in the second one, either. He might have been very briefly, but, but I, I feel. Like, but the the second one was set out of outside of the school so much, yes, that true. like it felt okay that he wasn't part of it because like it was mostly set in the old folks' home and the treehouse. Like there yeah, was very little actually. Or at the school, diner. But, yeah, or the <laughs> diner. But this one, it's it's set not mo- it's not really mostly set at school. But there's like this senior trip. Like, wouldn't Josh have been on it? Probably. See, I always thought he was a grade ahead of maybe LJ, and then I guess it would be two behind Margo. That's really fucked up, though. Yeah, I don't know. Or one behind Margo. Are much... they only two years apart? I don't know. Um, I think low key that I was just thinking like so. I just thought that was weird that he wasn't there at all. Like not even mentioned. Like not just that the the yeah. the, the character wasn't in it, but like he wasn't even referenced. The other thing that I thought was just absolutely hilarious was when they went on that trip and Chris brought that, like, trunk instead of a suitcase. Like, that might be one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a movie. Also, is ridiculous. She's absolutely insane. She's absurd. The other boyfriend is a buffoon, truly. Yes. Yes. The other thing, though, that bothered me about their trip is, like, why wouldn't any trip that I've ever gone on with children or know where there's a plane involved, you just meet at the airport. Yeah, there's why n- did they get on a bus? There's no then... chartered bus to go to the airport to fly across the country. You just go to the airport. But also, 
they easily sneak out after hours multiple times. And (laughs) apparently the chaperones were just telling the kids, yeah, as soon as you guys are all checked into rooms, we're just going to be at the hotel bar getting wasted. So Mm -hmm. have fun in New York, children. Do what you got to do. Well, to be fair, I took kids on a trip once uh, and the rules, they were very basic. Um, Don't get on public transit without an adult. Because there there was two of us. I was like, so don't get on, on public transit or in a cab without one of us there. Yeah. And you must be in your room uh, at Lights Out, and you must be there when we come and wake you up. Huh. And those were our rules. I was like, I don't care. You do what you need to do. Please don't get arrested. Um, and they were fine. Uh, because they were the kinds of kids that they were. But it was really funny because th- those were the only rules. We didn't tape anyone's doors shut. We didn't, like, I was just like, do what you gotta do. Yeah. If you're there at 7.30 in the morning and you're there at midnight, what am I going to say? Because I yeah. also need to sleep. Like, that was exactly. sort of the, that's the what, thing. That's what, that, that's what I was thinking, too. But also, like, fucking Peter convinces her to mean at, like, 8. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, that's not lights out. I know. I know. Also, like, where? how are you feeding all these kids? Like, what is going on with this trip? It's a very that poorly organized trip. That hotel was trip. way too nice. Yeah, it's a very poorly organized trip. There should have been... you need When you take kids on a trip, there needs to be free breakfast. Um, because they might not eat for the rest of the day, but at least you can get them some breakfast. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was all very poorly organized. I didn't quite understand it. It seemed like they were very incompetent. Yeah. Well, there was also three chaperones for, like, 50 kids. Yeah, which doesn't seem like enough. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> let's rate these mi- movies, Megan. How does this one rank for you compared to the other two? Where are you ordering them? What's your situation? It goes one, three, two. Thank you. The The only correct answer. The first one is so good. Mm -hmm. The first one is phenomenal. And and ultimately, if there had been no more, that would have been a fine ending. Yeah. The second one, you need to have the one that comes after the second one in order for it to like... To for be the meaningful. payoff to work. Yeah. Whereas the first yeah. one was a good standalone. Uh, but the second one, I just like, it was, it felt so contrived and weird. Because it was very, a very big departure from the first one. Um, and then this one gave us a lot more of like, Peter Kavinsky, which is like the important part. <laughs> <Let's be laughs> sure. <honest. laughs> the second one is also like, huge in terms of Laura Jean figuring out what her identity is. Because so much of her life is trying to fit into Margot's shoes who she just like idolizes mm-hmm. so she needs to do like the same whatever volunteer experience that Margot did like she needs to like tradition yeah. in that is so important to her well and even and the, then the decision for her to go to nyu in this yeah Mar- Margot was just like keep an open mind yeah and she was like well i don't know like she had already I think the second movie was important for her to learn that. Yeah. And just be like, I can make my own way and I can do my own choices. And like everybody's got their own little journey here and that's totally fine. I don't have to be Margot Mm -hmm. Mm 2.0. And also like Margot broke up with her boyfriend before she went to college. Like, 
Yes. And Kitty, not Kitty, Laura Jean is terrified of doing that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That, that that's very true. Yeah, no, it has to go one, three, two. That's the only. Yeah. That's the only order. Like, there's no, there's no other debate on this one. No, totally agree. And, and the the good like the really good things about this one here are like the the character development and the development of the relationship between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, like their their chemistry is really good, right? And it works really really well. And what we learn in this one that we didn't see in the first two is that Peter is very much a problem solver and a fixer. Yes. Um, and so, like, when he suggests, like, solutions, and he's like, hey, you know what? Go to Berkeley or UCLA or whatever, and then just transfer. Yeah. Or problem we'll solved. just meet in San Francisco. Or Yeah. Or we'll figure this out. Like, it was not a big yeah. deal, right? Whereas she's, like, she's got this whole fantasy world sort of, like, wrapped up in all of these things. And she can't, she can't, like, go of it. Like, it can't be altered. No. Which is surprising, because at the very end of the first one, she said something about how she's like, I always thought I would fall in love on a field. Or in a field, I just didn't imagine it would be this kind, right? Because at the very beginning, she's like, in a field of flowers. Yeah. Right? So she has the ability to, like, change her mind. She just, like, doesn't. Yeah, but um, I... Sorry, I'm away. My wiener dog needed to go outside. Um, that's good. <laughs> the... She's too much of a romantic, whereas Peter is, but he has a more practical sense to him. Yeah. But also, like, very in tuned in terms of his, like, sensitivity to what she wants. So... Yes. Yeah, they're a, they're a complicated bunch. They are. But it's... And I, I like their little group of friends that sort of has carried through. Yeah. They're kind of, like, some interesting people, and it, it's nice... But it's nice that they don't have, like, this giant, you know... Like... Um, Peter's weird, annoying, obnoxious friends from the first one, like, aren't there anymore. No, and also his sports team is just, like, nameless and faceless, and that's totally okay. Yes, because even though we know that that's what he does, and he's, like, you know, the athlete, and, you know, he's on scholarship, whatever, like, that's not his only identity. Yeah, which is nice. Which is very nice. That's also kind of abnormal for all of these. It's good Mm -hmm. stuff. I'm very happy that these movies got made. I was talking to a friend about them um, who said that they had watched, like, a couple minutes of the first one and realized very quickly was not the target audience. Uh, and then I, and I told you about that, and you were like, oh, and we are? And I'm like, well, maybe more so. Yeah, but also, like, I'm also not the target for the fucking Rocky movies, and I've seen those fucking eight times because my goddamn yeah. husband wants to, yeah. so, like... Oh, it's true. No, Relationships absolutely. are a give and take. <laughs> it's true. No, it's very, very true. Um, but it's just, yeah, no, we are not really the target audience for these, but these are not, like, yes, they're based on young adult, like, novels, mm-hmm. but they don't feel like young adult movies. No, they don't. And I think it's because their their lives and their concerns are treated with that sensitivity and respect that nothing is trivialized. Mm-hmm. They're just yeah, they're nicely done. They are, and they're well they're well made too. Like that's the yeah. other thing that's really nice is that they are very well made and they're very like the production value is high. Mm-hmm. So they they don't feel like garbage, which they very easily could have been. Absolutely. Um. So 
we still love Peter Kavinsky, I think, is the uh, is the takeaway here. 100% PK forever. Oh, he's the best. Um, all right, you want to do some questions? Yeah, let's power through these because my dog's not going to wait outside that long. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the very first question I have for you, which, because you never said anything, how was your birthday pie? Oh, it's actually in the freezer. We're saving it for when oh. baby comes. <laughs> oh, that's really lovely. <laughs> yeah, because I was actually gifted two apple pies that same day. Amazing. And the other one I got was homemade, and I was like, okay, I really need to eat this one first. <laughs> Because I don't know how long it's going to last. And I was like, well, the Megan one we'll save for another special occasion. So, yeah, we're going to save it for when baby comes. Perfect. Because the place that it came from is a place called Pie Junkie in Calgary. And I have some of my Calgary friends that, like, keep recommending it. And it was funny because I was trying to decide what to send you. Um, Because I was going to send you something. And I was like, what's the pie place? I could not remember the name of the pie place, like, at all. And so I was asking all my friends. I was like, what's the name of the place with the pie? And they were like, pie junkie? And I was like, yes, that's the one. Okay. Um, okay. We still have a question about Batman that oh, we never yes. did get to. Do you want to talk about that one? Oh, yes. Right. Okay. So here's the question. It was on a podcast that you had listened to. And the question yeah. was, would criminals get more intimidated by Batman if they knew uh, that even if they beat him up or get away or whatever, he could buy their grandma's house? Yeah, and just, like, essentially straight up take over their whole lives, should he choose to. Like, if if they knew that their, you know, faceless villain was one of the richest men in the world, would they be a little bit less inclined to do bad things? Not just that, like, he's a really fucking weird dude who dresses like a bat and kicks their asses at nighttime. Yeah, but, like, also, he's also got, like, absolutely... no issue ruining their entire lives. Yeah. And like political influence as well as obviously monetary wealth. I think it would. So this is the the thing that that I've had this in here for a very long time because we every time we've like recorded since then we've always been like uh, oh yeah we'll get to it we'll get to it. Um, The one the thing I think about is the beginning of the Dark Knight where those like other Batman guys that like dress up yes whatever and the, you know, i'm not wearing hockey yes pads. that's yes. exactly it and yeah. that's what i was thinking about when i first read this question is like this idea that yeah i think absolutely your perception of like what batman is capable of would change if you knew who he was yeah and that's like why it's so important obviously that you don't know who batman is like that's why it matters but i think that like yeah if you're a criminal who got the absolute fucking shit kicked out of you by batman or like maybe managed to beat him up or whatever if you knew that he was a billionaire yeah i think you might just be like it's not worth my time yeah totally totally and which i think is a fair question because it's like well why is he really hiding then because i guess all of these people could sue him for assault (laughs) Mm -hmm. well and he's hiding like as comes up in all of the different iterations well, maybe not the Ben Affleck one, because I've never watched that. But maybe then the other ones. The idea of, like, the mask is to hide to protect the people around him. Sure, but there's so very little. I swear we've talked about this before, but there's so very few people that he loves and loves him. Like, all he does is shut people out. No, that's absolutely true. But, like, I mean, he's still... 
in the the Nolan trilogy where Alfred is like, no, I was talking about myself. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Like, just, there's that that element of, like, he does care about some people. So, you know, he's trying to protect them. But I think it's an interesting question. Like, if you knew... Or I guess it could go the same with, like, Superman, right? If you knew that, that Clark Kent was Superman, would that change? And you thought that he was just, like, an absolute dick in the office would that change work yeah would that change how you interact with him if you knew who he was i think it would change my perception of superman (laughs) (laughs) that's fair (laughs) i think it would yeah i think with batman it would be the opposite (laughs) yeah maybe 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 okay here's the question that i got that was like a how dare you are you ready for it yes new harry potter movie idea Adam Driver as a young Snape, his years as a Death Eater, and his transition into Dumbledore's Inside Men. Yes or no? That would be extremely interesting. I would watch that. Because um, my response was, how dare you? Because, because it's putting your favorite thing against your least favorite thing? Basically, yes. I was like, yeah. why? I would absolutely watch it as well, but I would be mad about it. So, Well, there's just there's been a lot of fandom sort of con... Not controversy but i'd say like debate about what is the history of like harry's parents and like the first resistance and the first order of the phoenix and like how interesting of a story that would be because they're not children they're well his parents died when they were 20 but but they weren't children. They weren't, like, 11 they years old. Yes. When, yeah. Yes. So, like, how... And, like, how that turns them into, you know, the, the different adults that they Harry meets later on. There's been mm-hmm. a lot of chatter about that for a long time. And I think it would be good, but it couldn't be PG. Like, there's no way that series... No. ...should be as sort of toned down as the books were. But obviously the books were about children, so... Yeah, so it'd be different. Anyway, it was just, like, a funny thing. So thanks, Sid, for that one. I did not like thinking about it. <laughs> was um, it a thanks, I hate it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> my, my, when, she, when she sent it to me, my only response was, how dare you? No question mark. Um, yeah. <laughs> just, just that terrible, just how dare you. Um, okay, this is, I think these are from Malcolm. Yes. Okay, so uh, he's, this is what he says here. Um... He's like, so when I listened to the Oilers radio pregame, I noticed they insulted the Flames at least five times. They were playing the Canadians. So my question for your podcast is, why are they like this? (laughs) And that's such a great question. And the answer is, we don't know. We don't know. I just don't know why there is such an Edmonton. This, I feel like it's an inferiority complex. It absolutely 100% is. But, like, you have two of the best players in the league on your team right now. Why the fuck are you worried about Calgary? Like, why are they even in your narrative in a game where you're not playing them? The thing that I always find really fascinating on on Twitter about sort of in relation to that is, especially this season, now that the Canadian teams are only playing each other. Yeah. Um, so you kind of pay a little bit more attention, right? And you kind of get a lot more, like, you know, discussion about how how this affects p- 
you know, standings and implications because it does. Like, every game in your division matters because you're only playing teams in your Each division. Other. Right? Yeah. So they matter a lot. Um, but what I find really interesting about how people on Twitter especially are treating it, like, there is very much this idea that, like, oh, well, you know, the Oilers, the Oilers lost. Well, at least the Flames lost, too. And it's like, what, like, I, I've never... I've been a sports fan for, like, my whole life in various levels and different sports and different teams and whatnot. Um, The only time that that's ever a concern of mine is when I watch baseball. Yankees versus Boston? Yes, because fuck the Red Sox forever. But, like, I don't voice it. It's just, like, a... It's a thought. And and they play so many games against the other teams in their division that, like, I check to see, Mm -hmm. like, what what the difference is between the Yankees and the Red Sox. Um, now it probably is inconsequential because the Red Sox are not very good. But for a long time, like, that's what I would check. But I never, in watching hockey, like, that was never the default position for me to take. It's like, oh, I wonder how this team that I don't like did. I feel like it's this weird... Shade and fraud where it's like, if... I don't know if it comes from this... Inferior, inferiority complex of not just being like an Alberta city but being an Albertan like it's like at least we're not Saskatchewan at least we're not Manitoba we wish we were BC but and then you split that up and be like well at least we're not Calgary or at least yeah. we're not Edmonton like it's yeah. just like I don't but I feel like there's more of it going from Edmonton to Calgary than there is Calgary to Edmonton. Especially in the sports realm. Like, that's the, the feeling that I get, is that, like, Edmonton, like, Oilers fans, uh, fans of the football team here, whatever, there's this, like, instant, well, it, you know, at least, yeah, at least we're not the Flames, at least we're not the Stampeders, right? Yeah. And well, there's I something about that that I find that very bizarre. Edmonton has... <sighs> I think Edmonton struggles with, like, a city identity. Yes. Whereas Calgary has stuck with the one it's had since 1885. You know what I mean? Like, there's so little here in terms of values has changed that it's just, like, why would we care? And there's also, I think, a sense of like resentment towards government here and a super conservative conservatism that is very much like dog eat dog like only care about myself here Mm -hmm. whereas I don't feel like that is as much of a concern in Edmonton well and I think too that like I've always I've always thought the idea like you just stay in your lane right like and it's one thing if it's yeah, if, if you're listening to the pregame show when the Oilers are playing the Flames, right? That makes sense that you would have that conversation. But, like, yeah, you're playing a different team. Like, why why do you have to all, all of a sudden, like, bring it back to that, that rivalry yeah. that may or may not exist? And I find that to be, like, just a very bizarre way of thinking. But it happens all the time. And so this leads to Malcolm's second question. Uh, and he talked. Oh, he right. mentions here. He says when the oil companies were setting up shop in Alberta, they wanted to be based in Edmonton because all the oil is like up here. Governments there, refineries and whatnot. 
Um, Calgary offered tax breaks and Edmonton didn't ultimately at the time. So they set up shop in Calgary. So his question is, um, what is the alternate reality where Edmonton had both refineries and administration? For sure. For sure. For sure. I think that Calgary would essentially be like a Red Deer or a Lethbridge. Like, I don't think there mm-hmm. would be, there's so much, like, Edmonton has the oil, but there's so much oil money in Calgary. There's mm-hmm. so many wealthy people in Calgary because of it mm-hmm. that they they wouldn't exist here otherwise. Yeah, that's probably fair. Because he also says, like, is Edmonton more of a national power? The answer is absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so, like, Edmonton, like, automatically jumps to probably your f- fourth most populous city. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then and he also even says, just... Sorry. He also says, you're like, do the flames even exist in Calgary? No. Because they were bought in 1980. Like, would there have been a population to support that? No, there wouldn't have been an Olympic Games here. There wouldn't have been transit here. Like, mm-hmm. all of those things are because there was money here and people willing to spend it, right? Like... Yeah. Yeah, I totally... I totally don't think that this city would even exist as to the expanse it is now. But yeah, Edmonton would be Edmonton would be huge. It would be absolutely massive. Yeah. Yeah, like Edmonton would be your your industry capital, your government capital, and your financial capital. Yeah. You province. wouldn't have like the bedroom the bedroom communities would just be like Millwood suburbs at that point. Like Yeah. Your Sherwood Parks, your Stony Plain, like all of that would be the city. Well, and I think that that would have changed like how downtown was developed and and whatnot. Like I think there'd be more people living downtown, mm-hmm. more infrastructure, yeah, better well, transit, all of that stuff that sort of exists, you know, in in those bigger cities. Yeah, and <laughs> drive downtown now, and all those fucking big skyscrapers we have. Or just like for lease. Yeah, yeah. Just empty, bro. Um. Okay. Yeah. That's. I like that question. It's. It's a good one, and I think yeah, probably Edmonton would be the situation would be very different. Mm-hmm. And I think they'd be so much more of a influence for, or even just like a voice for northern communities too. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was also thinking like airports and stuff. Yeah. Like. Like Edmonton, there'd be direct flights from Edmonton elsewhere, not from not just from Calgary. Like Edmonton Mm -hmm. would be sort of your big, your big Western airport, other than Vancouver. Yeah, for sure, absolutely Um, would. Which would also, and I was thinking too, like that would also mean like concerts and like concert tours that only ever used to go to Calgary would have would Edmonton would be the place. Yeah. Because of ease of access and all those kinds of things. Um, Okay, what is John Travolta's best movie, and why is it Battlefield Earth? (laughs) Oh, this is why, <laughs> Megan. The answer, Dave, is that it's not Battlefield Earth. Honestly, I thought he was really good in the OJ series. I know it's not a movie. He was very but good in it. I I don't like John Travolta very much. I'm not a big fan either. I did like Face Off an awful lot. But that's because um, he's he's pretending to be Nick Cage. <laughs> yeah, Nick Cage is pretending to be him. Um, that's true. Yeah, I, you know what? I honestly, like, I don't know what my favorite John Travolta movie would be. 
Um, I've just never liked, like, in the first movie I saw him in, of course, was Grease. He's a creep in that movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he, he's a creep in everything. I just can't. Uh-huh. There's something about him that just has a major cringe factor that I can never get over. Maybe, maybe his best movie is Battlefield Earth. Maybe that's the answer to the question. See, I feel like I... it's not, but... <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but you know what I mean? If we can't pick one... Yeah, maybe... Right? The, you know, most obvious answer is the correct one. Then. Yeah, because I'm just trying to think here. Um, Where's that? Occam's Razor? Did I fuck that up? No, that's the right one. Okay. Um, okay, but, like, because here's the thing. Oh, no, his best one's Pulp Fiction. Like, that's a dumb question. I don't know why we were having difficulties here. Pulp um, Fiction is a bad movie. I'm gonna I know, say but it's, it. it isn't a great movie, but, like, he, so he's very famous, and he's been in a lot of not great movies. Urban yeah. Cowboy's not bad. Um, Get Shorty's not bad. I'm just, I'm just looking through his... I'm just looking through his... Oh, Primary Colors was okay. I didn't... That was that one was fine. But, like, I don't know. There's lots of... The hairspray? <laughs> yeah, Hairspray was good. Because um, he's a woman in Hairspray? Yeah. Like, I'm looking... I'm looking through... How is John Travolta as big of a star as he is? Like, do you know what I mean? I'm just I don't know, this, Megan. I I'm, don't know. This I'm is what I'm this, talking about. This list of movies, and it's not great. It's not great. And I've not really thought of it. Yeah, Get Shorty was fine. Actually, Michael was was fine. There was something about that one that was like a... That was, but yeah, like there's a lot of movies that he made that were just like... Huge stinkers. Yeah. And like a lot of them. Yeah. Or he just had like a minor role in some not bad films, right? Like that's the other... That's sort of the other thing. Yeah, no, he... He's a... His his star power is far outsized compared to the output of his career. Yeah, I think lots of too these that these are real bad. The notoriety comes from like a lot of the like scandals in his life. I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what? I lied. The best movie of John Travolta's career is Bolt. The cartoon. Yeah. Do you okay. know why? Because you can't see. it's only his voice and there you go problem solved or hairspray i think those might be the two yeah i think those might be the ones um okay two more questions uh one is how much should you take into account the suffering someone may have caused when you're feeling sympathy for the suffering they are currently enduring Oof. so the here's some here's some context um so it says here, uh, I've heard the, the civil context here, I've heard people whose politics put them at odds with cops and soldiers debating how sympathetic one should be for cops and soldiers when they themselves are suffering. Um, or go the other way. If someone is currently causing suffering, does suffering they have endured mitigate your contempt of them? Wow, that's a complicated issue. So, the, and an example that that I was given here is like Roman Polanski jumps to mind. and so Yeah, I, I was I, just going to say Roman Polanski. And my issue with Polanski is like I will still show that version of Macbeth yeah I know and like I still love Midnight in Paris Woody Allen's I think one of his best films but is he a fucking trash bag yes yes 
can we separate art from artists? Yes. Um, you can, but sometimes it's hard to. Right? Yeah. Like, um, but I, I just found, yeah, I thought that was an interesting question because, like, uh, you know, and then a little bit here, uh, a little bit of expansion here, um, with, like, the, the uh, riot at the, the U.S. Capitol. Um, I don't know if you saw the video of that cop getting stuck in the door. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, that was horrifying to watch. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what you think of, of police, like, that's still a human being. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I think that's sort of the question is, like, at what point can you sort of ignore the suffering or the hurt that's been caused? And, and like, just feel judge empathy? violence as violence. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a tough thing to do for some people in some contexts. I think that's really hard for some people to do. And I think oh, it's absolutely. For others. And rightfully so. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I've never had racial, racial pl- profiling against me, so I couldn't possibly tell you maybe the satisfying urge that would give you deep down to see a cop in the same position as, you know, five white cops against one black man. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. I yeah, don't think I, I, there's a right answer. I don't think there is either. I, and I think, too, it depends on, like, you know, what... It depends on, like, what kind of suffering as well, right? Because, like, at my core, I'm fairly petty when it comes to, like, a lot of things. And so, you know, when someone, like... I don't know. I'm just trying to think. Like, even, you know, like, for little things, you know, it's very satisfying when, like, someone does something. Like, I don't know. Takes the last tea bag out of the thing at work and then there's no hot water I'm like yeah you fucking deserve that um cause you didn't pay for the tea like do you know what I mean like there's there's yeah. that little kind of thing but when you sort of expand it into a broader scale I think it's a lot harder to decide yeah because there's fair. so many other things to take into consideration before you like make a judgment whereas like if it's something small you can just be like yeah well, you deserve also... that yeah, there's also, like, pointed suffering, and then there's, like, suffering on a wide scale. Mm-hmm. And those, obviously, I think should be weighed differently, but... But, like, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, and then at the next light, they're right beside you, it's a little satisfying. Mm-hmm. Because all of that effort that they took to, like, get around... To be a dick, to be a yeah. dick was for nothing, because you got to the same place that they got at the exact same time. But that's the thing. The person in that situation is never viewing it that way. No, no, of course not. And knowing that they're, like, stewing is one of my favorite things. Right? Because it's like, yeah, you absolutely deserve that. And my favorite is when you can then, like, get ahead of them a little bit and just box them in so they can't go anywhere. And you know what's (laughs) driving them nuts. Like, if I'll do that as long as I possibly can, uh, I find it very satisfying to do. And I'm very good at doing it nonchalantly, so no one knows that's what I'm doing. Um, but, like, I find that very satisfying because you can see them, like, in their roofing mirror, like, with their hands up and they're, like, just so angry that they can't get around. And you're yeah. like, well, maybe you shouldn't have been an asshole. Mm-hmm. But that's very different from, like, that sort of broad societal look. And I think that makes it a really tough question to answer. And here's the last one, which is also a good one. Um, okay. It's about... What are some movies with endings you couldn't guess or predict? Not necessarily twist endings, just an ending that you didn't expect. Um, Tenant, I think. Mm-hmm. Was at the top. Um, just my list like is recently. mostly Nolan movies because I was thinking The Prestige <laughs> as well as one. Well, yeah, for sure. That I for had sure. no, that I had like I could not see coming. 
Yeah. Um, man. See, I'm very good at clocking what's going to happen in movies, though. So it like, not... really has to be like shocking in order to toss me out the window. I mean, the obvious answer is like the sixth sense for me because like it didn't pick up on it. Yeah, the but first that's such time. like a that's such like a cliche answer now. You know what the I mean? Ob- like it's yes, become yes. such and a ubiquitous example of twist endings that it's like not a twist ending anymore because everybody knows. The other one that I was thinking about too when I got the question was uh, the village, which is another really? shallow one. Yes, because like I when I watched it, I don't know how old I was when I watched it. Like you know, and I just I watched it in theaters, and I don't like scary movies, so like there were, that was part of it where I wasn't really paying attention to the story because I was like waiting for jump scares. Yeah. Um, didn't pick up on it at all. And then I watched it again, and I was like, okay, yeah, I can see all of, like, those moments, right? All the little little clues. But until you have the whole story, to me, that was a hard one to figure out. Yeah. Well, if we're talking about books, I think books are better at doing that. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they're not... There's so many details that you have to read and absorb and move on so quickly... And that's telegraphed your brain way differently than visual stimuli. Like, it's so much easier to remember, oh, he put that key in his pocket if you're seeing it versus when it's just one line in a book. Yes. Whereas, like, so when you say books, like, obviously the silent patient comes to mind. Yeah, the guest list too. Yeah, as one that I did not figure out. No. I read another one by... Read another one by Lucy Foley called The Hunting Party. Same thing. Like, didn't figure it out. Yeah. Until it was revealed. And I was like, oh, okay. That makes sense. Given all of the clues. Um, and I feel like with those books, maybe not The Silent Patient because it was just the one thing, but because the, the guest list in The Hunting Party had, like, all of these different potential suspects. Yeah. If I had, like, written it down like I was playing a game of Clue. Right. So I might like have been able to figure it out a little bit better. Yeah. The suspects, yeah. But, yeah, those ones really, really surprised me. Uh, I do remember, too, a book called Boy's Life by Robert McCammon, which is one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, There's a moment at the end. It's not a twist. It's not. But there's a moment at the end uh, that I just gasped. And it was very satisfying. But, like, didn't didn't expect that a callback to something that happened way earlier. For sure. And it happened. I was just like, oh, my God. And it was very, very emotional. But yeah, movies, I don't know. I don't watch, I don't like to watch movies with, like, surprise endings. That's not my jam. I like, at this point in time, especially now, I like to know that, like, everything's happy at the end. (laughs) Totally. I don't have the emotional capacity for, like, not, for not knowing. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's why I've been watching, like, crime thrillers, though, because... I know that the person gets caught at the end. <laughs> yeah, no. I've been watching... So yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, and, and there's something, even though, like, the things that happen in the movie are, like, hard to watch. You it's know, still... like, whatever the case happens to be. Like, there is a satisfaction at the end because, yeah, the guilty party is... Guilty. Is caught. Yes, yeah. and, and it's made very, very clear that that's what it is. I think um, although... there's also an element, too, of, like... I think we all need a little bit of shock 
once in a while. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. to just drag us out of the daily monotony. Like, you have a 9 to 5, let's be honest, 7 to 10 <laughs> job that you do. <laughs> and I definitely don't. So it's just like... I think I look forward to that a little bit. Like, I need my senses to just be, like, either disgusted or afraid or in some sort of suspended sense of disbelief every once in a while. Otherwise, I'd go crazy. No, I yeah, and I think that's absolutely fair. The other, the last thing that I watched that surprised me that, like, I wasn't, didn't really know was, um, oh, shit, what's that movie called with Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively? Oh, a simple, simple favor. Simple favor. Yeah, like, I didn't quite figure out what had happened. Is it worth watching? I, qu- I quite liked it, yeah. Oh, it was good. For some reason, I I had this impression that it was just, like, a joke of a movie. No, it wasn't. Like, it's it's like a really dark comedy. Okay. Um, But no, it was, I thought it was it was pretty well done. And, like, I didn't see the thing coming. And I was like, oh, Interesting. Okay. And it wasn't really a twist ending because, like, the re- there's a reveal in the middle that sort of explains some things. Um, but I was just like, oh, okay. But I had no... There was there was no telegraphing right. whatsoever, which I thought was nice. Um, yeah, I quite, I quite like that. So that was maybe the last thing that I watched that, like, had a surprise. You know, some kind of a... An unpredictable ending. But I think for me, the one, if we go away from the obvious, I think maybe it's the prestige that's the one that, like, sits in my mind as... Mm-hmm. As the one that, like, was was surprising. Which, knowing what you know about Nolan, it shouldn't have been. But, like, you know? Well, I guess at that... Yeah, he took a few years off where he wasn't doing unexpected endings, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess the Batman trilogy is more of, like, a straightforward narrative, but... Yeah. Yeah, I guess so, hey. He, He almost had a... Shyamalanian <laughs> legacy. A little bit. And then, yeah, he went away from that. And then he went back to it with, like, Inception and Interstellar and Tenet. Yeah. Right, where he, like... Yeah. Interstellar had kind of a surprise, too. Not right at the very end, but when Cooper's going back through the yeah. black hole, Yeah. that, like, callback to the beginning was very cool and very unexpected. And I feel like... My, I remember sitting in the theater thinking, like, holy shit. I think my face just melted. Um, Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and that was a very cool moment. And it wasn't necessarily, like, surprise. It was just, like, the emotional weight of that knowledge was... Yes. Brutal. (laughs) Yes, it really... It was was devastating. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, was it. Uh, Okay, we should stop, because we've been talking for a long time. Um... And also, I have no more questions. So uh, I so <laughs> need to pee. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. So you can find our things on the internet, uh, on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and not Google Play. Um, we have an Instagram and a Twitter, which I sometimes look at. And I'll probably post my little video of all the notes I took onto the Instagram. Perfect. Uh, yeah, we have a website, too. Just look us up. Grab a try podcast. You can find us. Um, Yay. That's all we have for this week a month maybe who knows when we're going to do this again uh and as always thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the dumpster